Happy Thanksgiving. Here is my present to you. Just a great idea. <laughs> want to start by telling you a little bit about what we're going to do for the tornado victims. I was in Kansas City preaching at a missions conference last, last Sunday when all this was going on. I was following it, and then I kind of drove back through and could see some of the things that had happened during this storm. I know that you're concerned about it. I'm concerned about it. I mean, I grew up in Oklahoma, so I get this tornado stuff, and I just want you to know that we're going to do something about it as well. Uh, I, we're, we're going to put a, I'm going to put a slide up that will give you the information on uh, how you can go and help. Just parkvchurch.com slash disaster-relief. We're, we're trying to do a lot of things, okay? For example, first thing is we're going to donate $10,000 from Parkview immediately right up front so that we can help because that's what we got to do, all right? And that's just, that's just something to seed it with. If you want to give money, if you want to go down there, you can't go right now because there's too many people down there, but there's going to be an opportunity for you. We've got some connections with the fire department down there and some things like that. Uh, we're going to do everything through a church down there, uh, through a, a couple of churches down there, and through an organization called Samaritan's Purse. So all that information is on there. Uh, also at Brookhaven Marketplace today in LaGrange Road, if you want to go help volunteer to help as they're gathering supplies there until 4 o'clock today. They're going to be down there doing it. But just go, to the, just go to the website and you'll be able to figure it all out. I just need to point out to you that the safest place to be for them last Sunday was a church. Okay? There, I mean, there was Reuters had an article about one guy that was 65 years old. When he went home, his house, he went home from church, his house was gone. So just remember, it's always safer to be at church. For those of you watching on the internet, I mean, I'm just saying, maybe, you know... Next week, we're going to do uh, the, the last part of Impossible is Nothing. I'm going to be here, but I've invited someone to speak that as soon as I heard him this summer, uh, I, I, wanted to, I booked him instantly, and this was a weekend that was going to work out. Naeem Fazl is a person who grew up in Kuwait as a Muslim, and he left Kuwait as a small child during the, the Gulf War, and, uh, and, and he has uh, become a believer. He's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a pastor down in South Carolina. He's a very funny guy, very fun communicator and a former Muslim that had a supernatural encounter with Jesus that you are going to want to hear about. Here's a little video testimony of Naeem. I spent 18 years of my life on this rug. I remember hours, countless prayers, praying, hoping that God was listening, that God cared, and that he would answer my prayers. I knew that this mat represented how I would forever relate to the God up there. I called him Allah at that point. And I remember thinking, man, if it, it's up to me, if I'm going to ever get to heaven, I would have to prove that I would be worthy of heaven. And then one night I met Jesus. I remember him standing there and forever changing my perception of who God was, who I would be, and how my life would play out. It changed everything about me. As a lead pastor, I get to speak to my church weekly, but I've also had the opportunity to speak at different conferences and college campuses and other churches throughout this great nation. But what I've realized is that there is an overwhelming fear and uncertainty when it comes to Islam. Everybody, it seems like, especially Christians, are worried about the future of Islam. What is the future of Islam? Well, I believe that the future of Islam is directly connected to the future of Christianity. I believe that it depends on us. As Christians, if we are passionately to believe Jesus' teachings 
and realize that God supernaturally moves on the behalf of humanity. I believe we do that. We have nothing to fear. So be here next weekend. All five services he'll be preaching. Bring your family, the friends that are in for Thanksgiving. I'd love to meet him too, but uh, that's going to be phenomenal. Here's what I'm going to do today. Um, I, I, I have some photos called photos of irony. And as somebody, somebody sent me these photos of irony, I thought, this is the problem that most people think about the church. They don't think the church is relevant to the needs of the world anymore. All right? Let me, let me just show you what I mean. Okay? For example, the always open that's closed. All right? Or how about the airline aviation school, learn to fly here, and there's a dead plane in the tree, right? Or Titanic cleaners that, whoops, is sinking. Weight Watchers over Baskin Robbins. That, that's the photo of irony. Or the bridge where they don't want you to jump off and commit suicide, but the phone is out of order, right? Uh, childhood obesity. Let's fight childhood obesity over the McDonald's sign, which is probably the number one problem of it, right? Or Pacific Bell. If you don't have a phone service, give us a call and we'll get you hooked up. How do I do that? Th this is the one that I thought, you know, we got to camp out on this one because this is... This is, this, is what it, this is what the church feels, this is what the people of the world sometimes feel about the church, that we're the rusty old rust-oleum can, that if, any, if at any point in history we were ever relevant to society, we are no longer there. That, that's what the world would say. And in just about every case, they would be absolutely wrong, because over the centuries, the church has been at the forefront of the issues that have gone on in our world. The church has been the one that's made more, most of the difference of the, of the, of the scientific experiments, the, the medical things, the, the, the healing people, taking care of poverty, which is my topic today. The church has been a part of that, and the church still is. And it's because of this phrase that we believe that nothing is impossible with God. So Derek did a great job last week, last week, didn't he, talking about uh, hopelessness is nothing, loved it, phenomenal, and, uh, and Naeem is going to talk about Satan is nothing, we believe that nothing is impossible with God, so we have tried very hard as the church to do something about suffering, to do something about poverty, to do th something about the, the, the horrible things that go on in our world, and part of that is because we understand why the world is messed up. I mean, if you remember, I mean, I talked about this in suffering a few weeks ago and also last Christmas Eve. We started off in the Garden of Eden. Everything was perfect. And then sin came into the world, which humans let into the world. And so we were taken away from the tree of life. And there's no longer any access to the tree of life. And that's why we have death and poverty and, and disease. This is the beginning of those things. So Christians have always known that we were supposed to do something about it. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus sent his disciples out, it says, to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. It was a, it was a twofold approach to do two things, to heal the sick and to preach the kingdom of God. I call this bringing heaven to earth and taking earth to heaven. It's a two-prong approach of what we're always supposed to do, bringing heaven to earth and taking earth back to heaven. I believe in it so strongly, I have it tattooed on my arm. Okay, this is a picture of it right after I got the tattoo so that you can understand if you're a, a kid who thinks someday I'm going to do this, you can see how red my arm is. It does hurt. Okay, I just want to tell you that. We're supposed to preach the kingdom and tell the good news of the great joy that will be to all people today in the city of David, a Savior is born. And we're supposed to heal the sick. 
Jesus said, when you pray, pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he gave us many commands to go out and to make sure that heaven comes to earth. We were always a people that was supposed to be about bringing heaven to earth. Abraham was starting a a, a race of people that were supposed to be a blessing to the rest of the world. Joseph was taken to Egypt so that he could help save the world. Moses is given the law. And in the Old Testament law, there's so many provisions for us to take care of the foreigner and the widows and the orphans and the people who were too poor. We were supposed to take care of them. And then Jesus came along. And Jesus came along and the people said, Jesus, you're going to start this revolution, right? And they thought he was going to take over and the Messiah was going to be a powerful Messiah. But he didn't start a revolution of power. He started a revolution of love. And it was a powerful revolution of love. And it was countercultural from what anybody thought. And Jesus said things like, you know, love your neighbor as yourself and pray for your enemy and turn the other cheek. He also gave us some very strong instruction about taking care of poverty. All the nations, he said in Matthew 25, will be gathered together and God is going to separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I took clothes, I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you visited me. I mean, it seems like when you consider all the issues of the world, like world hunger and poverty and the things that are going on, it seems like Jesus wanted us to do something about it, doesn't it? Now, not all of the world. We're not supposed to take care of all the world. I can't fix it for everybody. I'm supposed to fix it for the people that I come into contact with. And that's what we're going to talk about today. How can you come into contact with people that need you? But the truth of the matter is you probably don't have to look very far to know somebody that needs your help financially. You probably don't have to look very far to find somebody that's sick that could use a, a, a card or a phone call or a visit, right? According to the statistics, almost everybody knows somebody that's in prison. They could use a phone call, could use a card. Hey, I'm praying for you. It's not about, it's not about us taking care of, of, of everything in the world. It's about us taking care of the one thing. I, I was hungry and you, you gave me something to eat. I was naked, you gave me some clothes. We're not asking you to underwrite a major ministry budget. We're asking you to sponsor a child. We're not asking you to bring about prison reform. We're asking you to, to, to think about somebody that you know that's there and encourage them. Do good when you can do good, when the opportunity presents itself. That's, that's all it is. And, and you can tell how surprised the sheep are because here's their reaction. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger or needing clothes? When did we see you sick and in prison and go and visit you? I mean, I'm, I'm glad that worked out, but when did, when did we do that? And Jesus said, this is the important part, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. It seems as though the sheep didn't really know that they were ministering to Jesus. They just, know that, they just knew that they were supposed to bring heaven to earth, and so they just did what they were supposed to do. And you go on and you read the story about the goats and the, and, the, and the people that didn't take care of the needy. And it seems like if they would have only known, they were like, well, Lord, when did we see you like this? If we would have known, we would have fed you. We would have given you clothes, right? It, 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 what I'm saying is you're supposed to do things for people that can never repay you. 
You're supposed to do things for people that can never do anything about it back to you. And maybe they're going to be from a different country. Maybe they're going to be from a different race, different political background. Maybe they're even going to be people who made the choices to get themselves in the problems that they've got in the first place. You're still supposed to take care of them. Jesus said to the goats, the king will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. You didn't invite me in. You didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not even look after me. You, you didn't do anything. And, and it goes on and it says that the people say, well, Lord, when do we see you like that? And he said, whenever you did it to the least of these, my brothers. Okay, listen, I know that I'm saved not by my works. I'm saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. But this is some pretty strong stuff here. Jesus is saying that the sheep are the righteous people who take care of the needy, and the goats are the ones who did not take care of the needy. And you have a hard time interpreting that unless you put it together with the rest of Scripture. And I think Jesus' brother James did a great job interpreting it in his book that he writes later on in the New Testament. Listen to this. Maybe this will help you make sense. James says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? That's a rhetorical question. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Can such faith save him? That's, a, that, that's what we call a rhetorical question. I had a guy write me the other day, said he brought his young daughter in. She was usually in children's church, and, uh, and she came into the service. And after the service, he asked her how she liked it. She said she liked it, but she said, how come Pastor Tim always answers all his own questions? Because I'm afraid of the answers if I don't, okay? It's a rhetorical question. Can such a faith save him? The answer is no. That what James is saying and what Jesus is saying is that if you have a, say you have a faith, but you're not doing anything with that faith, you really don't have a faith at all. Now, I'm just quoting scripture here, folks, okay? But if you put the brothers of, you know, the sons of Joseph together, if you put Jim and Jesus together here, basically what they are saying to us is if you call yourself a believer and you are not a part of the solution to poverty and hopelessness in the world, you are a faithless goat. Actually, a cursed, faithless goat. And I know that's a scary analogy for you Cub fans, but this is just where I'm coming from. Okay, so what should we do? What should we do, Tim? What should we do about it? Well, we should help bring heaven to earth. The preacher said, I saw a bumper sticker on a car the other day. It said, God bless America. And I thought to myself, you know, I think he already has. You know, the United States of America has 40% of the world's resources and 8% of the world's population. The money that we spend in the United States on ice cream every year could wipe out world hunger. Americans spend more, check this, on garbage bags to throw our junk away than 90 of the world's 210 countries in the world spend on everything. This is, this is the best illustration I can give you. What's wrong with this picture? <clears throat> right? That's my whole sermon right there. I really don't need anything else. 
That's the picture. We're the, we're the little dog with the big place and the big resources. And Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. So listen, I know some of you are listening to me and you're like, no, you have no idea what's going on in my life. No, I, I, I don't. And I'm not saying, I'm not making a blanket statement, but I know that there are plenty of us in this world, there are plenty of us in this country that could be doing more, and I'm one of them. And Parkview's a part of this. Never fear. We are bringing earth to heaven. We baptized almost 500 people in the last three weekends. Isn't that awesome? Congratulations to those of you that are doing it. It's phenomenal. But we're also involved in healing and bringing heaven to earth. We believe in that. So we're do, helping the food pantries and we're helping with the tornado victims in the, and, and the Philippines and, and, the, and building schools in, in Africa and child sponsorships and building a safe house. Some great stuff going on on that. All of those things are happening. And we sponsor these kids. We already sponsor 1,300 kids in Ecuador and Africa. Let me show you the cool picture we just did. It's out here. You're, you'll get to see it on your way out. That's one of the little girls that we sponsor in, that somebody sponsors in the remote regions of Kenya. And uh, if you look, you can see that it's made up of a bunch of little dots. If you look really close, the picture is all of your sponsored children put together in a computer program that put it together to make, to make that happen. That, that's something that we really, really believe in around here. It's not, about, it's not about grabbing a hold of a major ministry and taking care of a whole bunch of needs. It's about one little person at a time. And the question we need to keep asking ourselves is, is the world a better place because Christians are here? Let me answer that by telling you of a place in this world where 20% of the babies die before their fifth birthday. Most of the women get pregnant very young, and they, most of the women will have one of their kids die. And they will probably die from dirty water, lack of access to food, or malnutrition. The extreme poverty rate is 43%. And you might say, well, where is that place? Is that Haiti? Is that Africa? No, it's the United States of America 200 years ago. Some of you are like, oh, this Obamacare thing, it might be next year. Don't, don't, don't get off, okay? <laughs> Just stay with me. 200 years ago, that was what the United States of America looked like. And I don't have time to tell you how many of the advances that have come in, in, in medicine and in care. I don't have time to tell you, but think about all the hospitals. Think about, think about the, the places where people have been healed over the years. It has come through Christianity, and because Christianity is making a difference, because Christians have not been faithless goats, that's why I'm alive today. Do you realize that back in 1900, the life expectancy of a human being was 49? I would be dead Turn to your neighbor. If they look over 50, say, you'd be dead. <laughs> the proper response is, I'm not dead yet, okay? Today, the life expectancy in the United States is 79, okay? Do you understand that? And, and when I made that statement, you immediately thought like I did when I read it. That was Haiti. It was Africa. It was China. It was India, right? Do you know that in 1900s, in the, in the, the turn of the last century, that in India, the life expectancy was 24 in India. Now it's 64, it was 32 in China. Now it's 73 in Ethiopia, where we've had famine and, 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 and war and horrible things going on. It was, it was 30 in 1900, and now it's 55. It's almost doubled. And a big part of that is because children are living longer than they ever did before. And a big part of that is because Christians are not rusty rust-oleum cans. We are doing something about it. And you are too. 
In the 1980s, I graduated from undergraduate college in 1983, and I started in the youth ministry, and I would talk about this issue of what's going on in the world, because it's always been a passion, and because the, the younger people are always concerned with what's going on in the rest of the world. And the statistic that we would use when I was first in ministry 30 years ago, the statistic we would use is that 40,000 children die every day from preventable disease and hunger. 40,000 a day. I did some sermons on the subject in the 90s and updated my statistics, and I noticed that we were down to 33,000 children a day. I I did it again recently, and do you know that the number now is 21,000 kids a day? From the time that I started in the ministry 30 years ago until today, we have cut the rate of children dying from preventable disease and hunger in half. Do you not start to wonder if maybe the next generation, maybe my kids' generation, you young people's generation, could actually be the generation that sees an end to global extreme poverty and hunger and children dying? I believe we're going to see it happen. I believe it's going to be there. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about socialism. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about the fact that I know there will always be horrible leaders of countries that are tyrants that oppress their people and we can't help. You know, there, there's always going to be people that make individual choices. There will always be poverty for different reasons, but I'm talking about extreme economic poverty and children dying every day. We are winning the war. I have been to the remote reaches of Ecuador where the Indian population lives there and I've seen and I went with the president of Compassion International, Wes Stafford, and we looked up at the wall of this little school that Compassion helped build and and we were able to see the list of the sponsored kids and their sponsors. Now you need to know this, if you already sponsor a kid or if you sponsor a kid today, you're going to get prayed for by these people every day. They're going to have a relationship with you that you just don't understand, all right? It's going to be really, really important. But, But I looked up at the wall and Wes said, do you notice something? And I said, yeah, I do. There's no American names on that list. Because I don't know about you, but I just kind of feel like it's the Americans that are taking care of the rest of the world, right? It's us white people here in America. You know, we're going to go over there and take care of the poor people that are, you know, the Indians or the, you know, whoever else they are. That's kind of the attitude that you have, right? It was all Korean names. He said, do you know what's ironic about that? I did immediately. Because Compassion International started in the 50s as an organization to help the South Koreans. That was where they got their start. And now the South Koreans are sponsoring the Ecuadorians. And someday the Ecuadorians are going to be sponsoring, possibly they're working on getting into North Korea to sponsor. Wouldn't that be ironic if Americans helped Koreans who helped the Ecuadorians who helped the North Koreans who helped the whoever who helped the other? That's how it's supposed to happen. And it's happened because the church and because the believers have gotten together and said, we're going to bring heaven to earth. Do you realize that just since 1990, 600 million people worldwide have gained access to safe drinking water? Because safe drinking water is one of the biggest problems, one of the biggest killers of kids, and it's the number one killer of kids in the world. Do you realize that even though malaria still kills a million children a year, that in the last six years, 22 countries have cut their malaria rates in half? Largely because organizations that are 
full of Christians are going over and giving them nets to keep the mosquitoes out. Malnutrition, look at what's happened since 1970. In 1970, it was 36%. Now it's 16%. How about poverty in general? Is poverty hopeless? Is poverty impossible? No, it's not. Since 1981, extreme economic poverty, according to the World Bank, was at 52% of the world's population. Extreme economic poverty. According to 2010 data, we're still talking recession time, according to 2010 data, it's down to 19%. Extreme poverty has gone from 52% to 19%. Do you understand what I'm talking about? I believe that we're a part of a generation that could actually help bring heaven to earth. Wherever it is, whenever it is, I believe that we're a part of it. And as I've told you, I've seen this happen in Rwanda. I went to Rwanda with Rick Warren and the Saddleback team, and I was blown away. We were blown away by what went on over there because 19 years ago, half the country was displaced. One-tenth of the country was massacred by their brothers and sisters in their own country. In 1994, and we go over there to visit, and it's like this place is unbelievable. It was so much better than the the other countries that I've seen in Africa or anywhere else. How could that happen? Well, I took a video of uh, how it happened. I did this video for a church leadership thing uh, while Rick Warren is dedicating this hospital in the background. Just watch. It'll explain. I'll tell you what's working because that guy back there probably wouldn't do it. I'm here with Rick Warren in Rwanda at the site of the dedication of this beautiful new hospital. Uh, This hospital is being built on the site where 10,000 Rwandans were slaughtered during the genocide. And uh, there's now a a beautiful hospital being dedicated. That's what he's doing behind us. Uh, Because the church got together with the government and the private sector. Rick talks about the three legs of the stool, the public sector, the private sector, and the church all working together. And what could happen if we got everybody working together? Now, I've been to Africa, other places. I've been involved in other things. Uh, But what usually happens is we take care of, like, the kids here, or we take care of building churches here, or we take care of a hospital here. What's going on in Rwanda because of the peace plan, and and thankfully because the president of Rwanda wanted it, um, is that all three are working together. And i got to tell you, this has been an unbelievable trip to look at what happens when the three legs of the stool can all work together. This country, I mean, I didn't see it before, but it is so far and beyond every other African place that I've been because the church is working together as a church. It's in unity together. We have the bishops from the Anglican Church. We have the Catholics. We have Seventh-day Adventists. We have everybody working together here, and they're working with government, and they're working with private sector. And, of course, when you're a big dog like Rick Warren, you can kind of make those things happen. Uh, But the peace plan is working in all parts of the world because of bringing those things together. And it's not about the white guy going and helping the poor African people. It's about helping the Africans to work together as they are. And I'll tell you right now, that's what's working. We're going to promote reconciliation. We're going to equip servant leaders. We're going to assist the poor. We're going to care for the sick. And we're going to equip the next generation. That's the peace plan. And that's what's working. That's bringing heaven to earth. And that's what we were a part of. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's phenomenal what's going on. Listen to this. If you didn't, if you didn't hear this stat before, this is the, I, just preached, I just preached some of these stats to this missionary convention to try to encourage them. Because you know what? They're out there gutting it out. I want them to hear that it's working. There's only 1,300 orphans left in Rwanda. By this time next year, they will be the first ever 
orphanage-free country in the world. It's working. It can happen. And I, and I want to tell you that because I don't know about you, but, you know, I mean, I know, I know you're not going to hear that out there from the relief agencies because they, they just want to tell you about the bad stuff because it's raising money, and I get all that. But I want to be a part of a winning team, don't you? And I want to be a part of something that I know is working. And, and I want you to know that I believe that we're working, and I believe that Christianity is working, and, and yes, there's still work to do, but we've cut it in half. I think there's more we can do. So here is my illustration um, this is 21,000 BBs. This represents the amount of children still every day. I mean, it, we, can, we can rejoice all we want to about the number being cut in half. And, and, you know, there's this much of a bucket full of kids that aren't dying every day now since 1980 because we've been involved and because the, the world has figured out how to be a better place. And, and because Christians have not been a rusty Rustolian can, but there's still 21,000 kids that die every day. And all I'm asking you to do is, is not to do anything about this. I want you to do something about this, about this one kid. 38 bucks a month, you can, you can literally save a kid from the slums of Nairobi, the worst place you've ever seen in your life. And as a church, what we can do is we can get a bunch of these together at the same time. We already do 1,300, and I know there's a bunch that you've done on your own. I want to do a bunch more. We're going to give you the opportunity because what this sound is that you hear right now, this is the sound that God hears every day as his children that he loves very much are dying from preventable reasons. It's and we're not going to be about that anymore. We're going to fix that. That's who we are. That's who Parkview is going to be. And I need you to be a part. Are you with me? And your bulletin, a little info about this child sponsorship thing. It's so simple. Listen, I wanted to do this. And on the back is some Christmas stuff we're doing next week. Just so you know, I mean, there's a lot of opportunities. We're going to bring heaven to earth. That's what we're going to do. Jesus told us to. But, 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 but I want you to understand th that it's that simple, 38 bucks a month. And I wanted to do this before we got into Thanksgiving and Christmas, before Black Friday, and you go out and blow all your money, you know, at Best Buy. I, I wanted to do this before so that you could have the opportunity to start thinking through what really is important in the world. I mean, can you imagine, you know, do, do I need a new TV this, this year, or, you know, could I... Could I take care of one kid? I mean, really, literally. What, what is it that God is calling me to do? And the information is here, and, and, and there's a, a slide. And let me just show you. This is what the website looks like. And you could go, if you just don't want to mess with the crowd out there, go to cmfi.org and click on sponsor. We're going to send out an all-church email this week so that you know, uh, you know, you got it again. It'll be on Facebook. Or you can go out right now. We've got everything set up. We've got some pictures on the wall. And even more importantly, we've got computers already set up. And here's the fun thing about the computers. If you have, like, you know, maybe your, your, your loved one passed away. Maybe your, your dad died and his birthday was whatever day. You could go and you could find a kid with that birthday because we've got kids just about. Or maybe it's your birthday. Or maybe there's something special. You want to find a kid with a certain name or whatever. You can do all that. And we've got the computers set up for you. You can do all that online. Or you can just look at the wall and just pick a kid and say, oh, that, that kid looks like my kid. I want to do something about it. And these are kids that are either in the Mathari Valley, the, the worst place you could possibly imagine in the world, or they're out in Turkana, which is a very, very remote place where it's also a place of extreme poverty. 
When we started doing this in 2006, there were 300 kids in two schools. Now there are almost 11,000 kids that are sponsored in 16 schools throughout the slums. You can literally see from one, one of these schools that they've built to another one that's over in that region over there to another one that's over in that region, and they're going in and they're bringing hope. It's actually called Missions of Hope. That's who we're working with. And you can bring hope to a kid that can't get it anywhere else. And you think, well, does child sponsorship work? BBC ran this article recently, and, and they did a, a thing on child sponsorship, and is this good, and is it working? And overwhelmingly, they found over and over again, it's definitely a great idea. As a matter of fact, the stats are a kid is 42% more likely to finish secondary education and 83% more likely to finish college if he is sponsored. So you have the opportunity to sponsor either a small kid for 38 bucks a month, or you could do like I did. When I, the, the, the reason we started the high school program in this, in this slum is because when I went in 2006, I met a little boy named Collins. He was 14, and he was a very sharp kid, and he wasn't going to get to go to high school because he couldn't afford to go because his mom had AIDS, and his dad was dead, and he had a big family, and he wasn't going to go. So we started the high school program. Do you know that I don't, I don't sponsor Collins anymore because he's graduated, and we went out back and got another little girl and started over, but he's graduated, and he's in college, and he's getting ready to graduate from college now to be a teacher and to go back and teach in those slums. For 70 bucks a month, that's what you get, okay? Do you understand that you can change a lot of things, one little BB at a time? Because we believe that everything is possible for him who believes. We believe that God is in control of the universe. And we believe that God told us to bring heaven to earth. But let me tell you a story, and I'll finish up. Got to go to the World Series in uh, 2006. It was St. Louis Cardinals. My dad's a lifelong Cardinal fan. We grew up Cardinal fans. Amen. Thank you for that. And, um, and uh, it was the Detroit Tigers, 2006, if you remember that. Uh, we had a St. Louis Cardinals baseball player who went to our church, still does. He doesn't play baseball anymore, but he got us tickets. It was really awesome. Had a blast. Got to go to Detroit because I couldn't get to any of the St. Louis games. So I went to Detroit. Uh, it, it, I got to go to the game, the only game they lost. It was probably, you know, it wasn't my fault. The reason they lost is because Kenny Rogers was using pine tar. Do you remember that game? That, that was the pine tar game, okay? I was at the pine tar game in Detroit. But the, the experience of showing up to this, to the, the Tiger Stadium was kind of surreal because I map quested it, printed out all my stuff, you know, because uh, I didn't have GPS back then. I map quested it, had it all ready to go, and we drove to Detroit. I picked my dad up. He met me in, you know, over in Indiana. We went to Detroit, and I showed up, and, and the stadium was dark. There were no cars parked around it, no lights on. I'm not the brightest guy in the universe, but I quickly ascertained that either it was the wrong time or this was the wrong place. And, um, and sure enough, it was the wrong place because it was old Tiger Stadium. In Detroit, they built a new Tiger Stadium, and they didn't tear down the old Tiger Stadium. I don't know what they're doing with it, but they were only about 10 blocks away from each other. It didn't take me long to figure it out, but MapQuest hadn't updated their information. Shock, right? right? You did that many times. Follow, follow the trail, and I'm in the wrong place. What I want to tell you is that if all we do as Christians is bring heaven to earth, we're going to end up in the wrong stadium. We're going to end up in the wrong place. What I mean by that is that all, if all we're about is, is taking care of hunger and malaria and, and these babies on the earth, 
then, then we failed our mission because we are supposed to be a people that brings heaven to earth and takes earth to heaven. How tragic would it be for us to find out that the, the people we built water wells for and schools for and solved malaria for got a better temporary life but never got eternal life. That would be the wrong stadium. And that's the difference between working through the church, which is what we will always, always do. We're doing it down in Washington, Illinois. We will always work through the church, and we will always work through a Christ-centered organization because eventually all we really want to have happen is for them to figure out how to get eternal life. It's not just about heaven to earth. It's about earth to heaven. Because Jesus said, what does it profit? What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? I mean, in a million years, if they're separated from God for eternity, they're not going to look back and go, man, thanks for taking care of my malaria problem back on earth. They're, they're going to say, why did you tell me about Jesus? That is ultimately what is going to solve the problems of the world. And you realize that everybody that G, even Jesus healed, everybody that Jesus raised from the dead, they still died again, right? You don't see Lazarus walking around here anywhere, do you? Don't you think he'd be on 60 Minutes by now? I mean, for crying out loud, th this world is temporary. And so why we do child sponsorships and why we do the things that we do through the Christian organizations is so that people get a chance to know about how to have real healing someday. Because real healing is not going to come until we get to the other side. When the angel showed me the river of the water of life in the book of Revelation, John said, flowing from the throne of God, then on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit and yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. That's where healing's going to come. And no longer will there be any curse. This is the ultimate answer to poverty and hopelessness and sin and death because we can take care of all the orphans in Rwanda. We can take care of all the poverty in the world. We could wipe that number down to zero people, zero babies dying from malnutrition and poverty related diseases, but eventually they're still going to die because this world is still cursed. And someday the curse is going to be gone. And we get to this place where God will wipe every tear from their eyes and then there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. This is why, this is what I'm talking about. This is why it's about heaven to earth. This is why both of those things are on my arm. Heaven to earth and earth to heaven. This is preach the kingdom of God and go heal the sick. If I could sum it up, maybe you heard the old adage, if you, teach, if you give a man a fish, you save him for the day. If you teach a man to fish, you save him for a lifetime. Let me just add, if you bring a man to the great fisher of men, you will save him for eternity. We're going to have communion. It's an opportunity for you to uh, understand exactly what's gone on uh, when it comes to taking care of our sin and how this whole thing worked. Um, Paul wrote it this way, Christ redeemed us from the self-defeating, cursed life. That's, that's where we live. By absorbing it completely into himself. Do you remember the scripture that says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree? Well, that's what happened when Jesus was nailed to the cross. He became a curse, and at the same time, he dissolved the curse. And now because of that, the air is cleared, and we were able to receive God's life his spirit by believing that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. 
He goes on in another letter and says, all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe. That's what we're talking about, these broken things. They are all, the people, the things, the animals, the atoms, they all get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmony someday because of his death and his blood that was poured out on the cross. I've uh, told the story many times of losing my daughter when she was four on the beach in, uh, in North Carolina. We were camping in North Carolina, another reason not to camp. And, um, and my four-year-old, she, Becca was four. This is my 21-year-old. She was four at the time. She wandered off. She got lost on the beach. And you know what that feeling is like. I, I mean, you know, there, there, there's the, the water that's a, the, it's a danger. There are people that are a danger. We don't know where she is. It, the beach goes on indefinitely. How are we going to find her? We split up. I went one way. Denise went the other way. We alerted the lifeguards. We ran. I found Becca, brought her back. Long story short was it all turned out. But it was a moment that I talk about often as a moment when I understand God's heart for his children. When I understand how God feels when his children are lost. And really nothing else possibly matters when your children are lost. And if that's you today and you're not united with your father, your heavenly father, that's how he feels about you. And I was thinking about that as I was working on this message. I was thinking, you know, if Becca was lost, if she was wandering down the beach and some really nice person gave her a bottle of water or a granola bar, I would be very, very thankful for that. But ultimately, all I really want is for her to be home. So we bring heaven to earth so that we can bring earth to heaven. And that's why you do a child sponsorship. That's why we do what we do, so that we have the opportunity to help everyone be reunited with their Heavenly Father because He's just dying, waiting for them to come home. And He's dying, waiting for you to come home. So let's pray. God, I know um, I can't possibly understand what it must feel like for you to love the world so much that you gave your only Son that whoever could believe in Him, as all we have to do is believe, would be saved and, and, and be freed from the curse. And you've already done all that and, and there's still people wandering away from you. Lord, let this message be a message that spurs us on as a church to be about the value of, of bringing heaven to earth because we know that's what you've asked us to be. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we will help to be a part of that. But let us not forget that it ultimately has to be about bringing earth back to heaven. And, and that we've got to do whatever we can to make sure that people know about you. We pray in advance for our Christmas services and for all the things that we're working on around here. This is why we've got this added on to this building. It's why we do everything that we do so we can bring heaven to earth and earth to heaven. And Lord, if there are people listening to me right now that feel like they're still wandering down the beach the wrong way, maybe this is the moment where my voice, this message, your spirit, something right now is, is tapping them on the shoulder saying, hey, turn around. Jesus is standing right there and he wants to take you back to the Father. He wants to take you back home because Dad is just, he's just dying for you to come home. Let them turn around and say, Jesus, I'll go. I, I accept. I will follow you. Thank you for the opportunity that we have Thank you for the blessings that we have. We know to whom much is given, much is required. And we acknowledge that it came from you. And right now, we just thank you for the opportunity that we have to commune with you. Be with us in Jesus' name.